Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 121. On today's show, we talk about colonial Philadelphia, Gettysburg, and Scottish Quernstones. Let's dig a little deeper and find that other half. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone, on this rainy Wednesday that we're recording on. Yeah, it's so rainy and we can hear it so loud on the roof of the RV. So it might be coming through the microphones. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, they basically point up. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I love the sound though. I don't know. It's nice. Yeah, it's the end of April for us as we're recording this in 2021. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, we travel around an RV and we are in basically we were in Massachusetts technically, but we're like 100 feet from New Hampshire. Yeah, like the address of this RV Park is New Hampshire. But we're on Massachusetts But side. we're parked in Massachusetts. That's right. Yeah. We're saying that because we're in a very historical part of the country, obviously. Yes. Uh, if you're looking at American history, mm-hmm. not prehistoric history, because if you're looking at prehistoric history, the whole entire country is historic. Right. Yeah. But colonial history. Right. Like, there's a lot of really cool and really old stuff around yeah. here and in all the areas we've been in the last you know month or so. Right. And a few weeks ago... We spent two weeks outside Philadelphia by about an hour and a half or so, and I had some client meetings to do in Philadelphia, so we went in there a few times. I went in there a few times, and we went in there once and spent a whole weekend there. And actually, we just wanted to talk about a visit to Philadelphia and that area and the stuff that you can see. I know it's not strictly archaeology related, but there there was a the remnants of an archaeological dig at the Independence Hall site, mm-hmm. but... Everything we know about that area is either derived from, obviously, historical records and documents, journals and stuff like that, so writings, but also archaeology. Yeah, they had to do a lot of archaeology in order to, you know, build the buildings that are there now or restore them or do whatever needed to be done to allow a large city like Philadelphia to keep growing and to account for all of the people that are going to be living and working and going there to visit. So... There's been a lot of work and we found a lot of different articles that we'll link to in the show notes about different Mm -hmm. excavations and things that have happened over the years at a lot of these historical buildings. Yeah, the cool thing is with it basically being a national park or national monument, I think it's national park, actually, the whole area. Well, because there's like 10 or 15 things in the same area. Yeah. And some are parks and some are monuments and it's just like a whole mess of stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Well... Either way, if you go to the NPS website, and again, we'll link to all this stuff, I I specifically looked for some articles, not articles, but actual reports. Like there were were reports of excavations and reports of surveys and things like that that were archaeologically related. So they actually did some digging, did some analysis, and said, here's what we found. 
and we're, we'll link to those too. I have read through portions of those reports just to get an eye, but they're like legit archaeology reports, which means there's a lot of stuff in there. Like not super and, readable, yeah, really? <laughs> not exactly a page turner. Like you kind of need like a synopsis at the <laughs> beginning, but they you can kind of get that maybe. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. some of the newer ones, they have like management summaries, but yeah, management summary just means for the client, like I know I paid half a million dollars for this, but I'm going to read this one page. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's talk about what was in the area first, because this was our first visit there. And for anybody that might be going to visit, I want to know what I want to talk about it from like the eye of an archaeologist and people understand history a little bit and like what we saw and what our our take and impression on the whole area was. Mm -hmm. So Rachel has out her passport (laughs) stamp book. I can't stop looking at it. I know she wants to talk about it. No, I don't. (laughs) Okay, I wasn't going to talk about it at all, but since you brought it up. (laughs) Okay, so I have a National Parks passport book. If you guys have ever been to a national park, you'll see them by the cash register and there's little stamps, right? And you and I have had, I mean, I call it mine, but like, I guess it's ours. Literally never stamped it. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) You're with me when I get the stamp. So it's ours. And I've had it for like, what, 12, 13 years now? Something like that, yeah. So one of the reasons we went to Philadelphia is so that I can, you know, get some Philadelphia stamps because I've never been there before. And But the other great thing it does is it tells me the names of all these places because there's a lot of them and also whether they're a park or a... Monument. Monument. So, yeah, that's why I got it out. Not so I could talk (laughs) about my stamp book. Nice. All right. So let's talk about it. So when we first went there, again, it's COVID time. So there's a lot of extra precautions and line management and stuff like that that's going on that ordinarily wouldn't be happening. I mean, the one thing to note that if you're visiting like the visitor center for the Independence Hall area there, it's massive. It's an absolutely huge visitor center. You can just walk into that. They've got like a little cafeteria. I don't even know if that was open. We didn't even go down there. A lot of it wasn't open. I think just like the information centers and the the gift shop basically were the only things that were open in there. Yeah, but it's a good place for clean, free restrooms in downtown Philadelphia too, which is hard to find. (laughs) That was a difficult one. Yeah. So keep that in mind. It's definitely worth a visit. And I would say start there too, because you can, you know, talk to some people if you have questions about Mm -hmm. things. They have a great app, so you can just go to the app to see what's open and what the rules are for seeing things. Although we still kind of got a little confused when we first got mm-hmm. there. Like, like where do we go in for the Liberty Bell? And like, where do we go to Independence Hall? So it took a little bit of like walking around to figure things out. Yeah, there are a ton of people around that's like hanging out, National Park Rangers. Yeah. Just like waiting to answer your questions. Yeah, so, you can you know, just definitely ask them. Ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, the the big building next to and across the street from the visitor center is basically the room the the big building that houses Liberty Bell. It's at mm-hmm. one end of it and it's encased in glass so you can actually see it from the outside if you don't want to stand in line. Mm-hmm. Because to be honest, you can't go up and touch it. So if you want to get 20 feet closer to it, stand in line for an hour. If you're good <laughs> kind of standing back and looking through the glass and going, "Yep, Liberty Bell," then, you know, it's a better view from inside. <laughs> and I'm saying that even though we didn't go inside. We didn't have time and the line no. was too long and we could see it from outside. I wish we'd yeah. gone inside. I'm sure there was great like information. And you know how I love to mm-hmm. stop and read every sign on the wall. So Yeah, there you go. But yeah, didn't yeah, get to. The, one of the cool things that's at the other end of that building from Liberty Bell, there's a whole outdoor area that talks about what was that with the tvs and stuff there was like this whole audio thing with people acting as former slaves there were yeah. actors portraying people reading out these things that was kind of a really cool display i guess i believe it was the 
first president's house. Yeah, you come in from the street and there's like these, there's a couple of TVs with people that are, again, acting out and like they're giving a monologue mm-hmm. about, you know, being sl- enslaved back then. Yeah. And so there's that. And then that's really cool and, and profound. So sit there and, and listen to that. And there's some, there's some literature there too that's on the walls. But then when you go right up towards the building, there's a kind of glass covered area that is, if you look down, it's probably like 10 feet below where you're standing. Yeah. There are the foundations of, I think is exactly what they said, the first like president's house. Because the capital of the United States was in Philadelphia for, what, 10, 15 years or something 10 like that? 10 years, something like that, yeah. yeah. So like Washington lived there. And I think that the stories from former slaves and things like that were slaves that belonged to oh, Washington. And it was yeah. sort of like the history of slavery in right. the Washington family. So they were kind of talking mm-hmm. about all that. And talking about, actually, some of it really stuck out to me because I didn't know about the only reason that Washington had slaves is because his wife inherited them and they weren't allowed to free them. And there was like this whole like craziness wrapped up in it. So anyway, that's what part of that was about. And then there, of course there's the foundation of the house, which I believe was the first president's house. So Washington lived there, mm-hmm. I think for the eight years that he was president. Yeah. So, Yeah. So that was pretty cool. One thing I that's really always interesting to me that you never, I don't know, for some reason you never really think about it with archaeology, but in order to find stuff, we have to dig, right? Yeah. I mean, in most cases, mm-hmm. unless you're in the West where there's it's no soil. There. <laughs> yeah. The soil either washes away or just doesn't develop fast enough. But in most cases, you got to dig. And those foundations that we saw that were dig. Now, again, they're foundations, so they may have been a little deeper in the ground, but they weren't digging down like nine feet to build a foundation back in the 1700s. So they were so far below the existing street level that it was kind of phenomenal that it was so far down. It's like that's how much buildup has happened. Now, that's not all soil development from trees and stuff, although that stuff does build up over time around us and we don't necessarily realize it. Like the place where you're living, if you're out on like a ranch, the place where your house is, you probably keep that clear. You keep the grass mowed. You keep the tree clippings down. You know, you you might even water it. That washes away any like new soil. There's very little soil development going on right there, at least not in a place that you can actually see it. But the areas out that you're not touching, those mm-hmm. are gradually getting deeper and deeper. Yeah. Just because that's the way soil works. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to me to see that. And in a place like Philadelphia, that's been a city for, you know, 300 years and, and our nation's capital at the beginning of it, where, where we're looking at this, I mean, they probably just had a lot of landfill, right? Like instead yeah. of mowing over something, they just covered it up with more dirt and built on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking that it's less natural deposition that caused it to be so low mm-hmm. and more just the buildup of the city around it. Like right. you said, just continuing to add on like the roads, even today, like modern roads, they just pave right over the top of them mm-hmm. half the time rather than, than, you know, digging down and doing a fresh road. So it's just kind of like that natural buildup of humans <laughs> over time. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. It's kind of a combination of let's just fill it in and start over mm-hmm. and natural build up over time, mm-hmm. you know, through soil. Because I know there was one point when we were walking, the streets of Philadelphia are garbage. I mean, they're actual garbage. I feel like you should start singing. I know, right? Isn't that a song? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the, but they're they're really bad uh, in, in almost universally everywhere. And there's like big pieces of concrete pulling yeah. up. We yeah. were in New York City last week and it's the same thing. Yeah. Right? It's just cities. It's like just it's hard to maintain that. Hard I think. to maintain. It- but it's a little scary. Like in New York, I remember seeing just like 
you see like a pothole sometimes and it's just like an abyss below it. Like there's <laughs> yeah. a huge opening. I don't know what's <laughs> happening when cars drive over that. <laughs> but I remember seeing one in Philadelphia between like Washington Square and the Independence Hall, that park where it's at. Mm-hmm. I remember, seeing, I think I commented to you when we were walking, I could see red underneath there, like cobblestone. Oh, yeah. Like red cobblestone yeah. under the a couple layers of asphalt, mm-hmm. which was kind of neat. A little yeah. sad that they didn't just like, I don't know what they would have done, pull it up and save it. I guess not. Asphalt I, over it. Yeah. What can you do, right? Yeah. They got to have roads that cars can drive on. But, but yeah. yeah. So, but it is really cool to see that kind of layering in an old, an right. old city. Right. So, there's a lot of cool spaces that you can just hang out in in the park right there that's in front of Independence Hall and next to the Liberty Bell and the, mm-hmm. the Visitor Center. So that's all really cool. And there's a whole bunch of other little buildings around that we can talk about later. But Independence Hall, let's talk about that yeah. because that is where the Declaration of Independence was signed. Right next to there is where Congress and the Senate, their halls were. That's where they were at. Independence Hall has been a lot of things since all this went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so was the other building. But now they're, of course, you know, preserved as as these foundations of america so mm-hmm. now to get into independence hall we stood in line for i don't know an hour maybe more hour maybe and a half, little more maybe. than an hour yeah because yeah, they yeah. were letting 15 people in at a time mm-hmm. taking consideration for like large groups and stuff yeah because so, there were some people that were like families of six and seven they would probably go in by themselves you know we were just two so we were in with like i think eight other people or something and you have to go through a metal detector mm-hmm. and your bags go through like a TSA, yeah. you know, belt screener thing. Yep. And it's pretty intense. Yeah. It's a full security situation. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine it's probably like that in regular non-COVID times mm-hmm. as well, because they clearly have a lot of like strict security procedures in place right. with the people that they let into Independence Hall. So, so what I'm telling you is while you're standing in line, you have plenty of time to pull up national treasure. <laughs> on your phone and just watch it <laughs> before you get in. Oh. So Wow, that's going to be like a controversial statement right there. I'm just saying. A lot of people hate that movie, you know. I mean, it's not Nick Cage's best. <laughs> but obviously most of what's in that show is not true, right? Yeah. But the cool things about that are the places that they went and you can and they're recognizable. It's really yeah. neat in a movie when you can connect to something in a movie, right? I mean, we were in Scotland and saw where the Chamber of Secrets, the columns and stuff like that, it's oh, it's a the, university yeah. in Glasgow. Yeah. And there's just a piece, a place under a building that they basically digitized in walls and stuff. Yeah. It is so, very cool to connect to yeah. a place in a movie. And and although it might be controversial, I would say that we are fans of National Treasure. Some of us more than others yeah. in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are it's tolerant. Just, it's fans. just a fun <laughs> experience i don't know what to tell you judge me all you want but it's a fun experience and it's just just as good as national treasure (laughs) too come on treasure in south dakota (laughs) that is uh those are big words there anyway so it's a it's a long wait but it's you know keep yourself entertained but once you get in to be honest it was a little bit underwhelming yeah i mean there's there's some national park guides in there and some volunteers that had some really good information. Obviously, you can't go up and touch anything. You yeah. stand behind a wall. I mean, obviously, the building is real, right? They mm-hmm. didn't they didn't change the building out. But like all the stuff in the hall where the Declaration of Independence was signed is a replica, except for it was not original. It's not a replica. They're all old. Yeah. But it's not the stuff that was there when the thing was signed because which is not surprising because yeah, that mean, building went on to be used by the city of Philadelphia for many many years before right. it was turned into a national. 
Well, and it's like they signed the Declaration of Independence. They knew they were doing something momentous, but they didn't think we should save the desks. No. You know, that wasn't the first thought no, in their head. No, but they did save Washington's chair. Yeah, the chair Washington sat in and presumably others after that. Yeah. Um, that chair was the original chair that was sitting up there. So mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and there was probably some other stuff in there, too. But it was neat just being in the area and, and being there. I don't have a lot of like... I, I guess, reverence to place. I, I just don't have that in my personality. But there is something to be said for the history of that building and the history of what happened there and just recognizing those events, I guess, and using mm-hmm. the building as a trigger for that, you know? Yeah, I thought it was neat. And I liked learning about sort of the more specific details of how everything went down. Because, man, when you leave, you know, high school... <laughs> And you don't study American yeah. history anymore. That stuff just kind of like it goes away. Yeah, it just sort of leaves your brain. Yeah. So it was like a nice little refresher on how we became the country mm-hmm. that we, well, kind of still are. Right. We veered a little bit from those days, I think. But anyway, different conversation. Well, I don't know if we did or not because one thing I wanted to mention. Well, you know what? Let's take a break, and then when we come back on the other side, we'll continue talking about this because we got a lot more to say. We also visited Gettysburg, yeah. which was interesting. So we'll talk about that on the other side. Back in a minute. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30 percent off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code tas pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 121, the America edition. <laughs> the Colonial America edition? I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, well, well, America wasn't really a thing. I mean, I guess it was. But the United States of America wasn't a thing before the history that we're talking about. Well, it, it so, all happened there at yeah, that time. Exactly. So, yeah. so yeah. anyway, Independence Hall, one of the cool things that I saw there, and I actually put this up on my own, I think Instagram or Facebook page, one of the two, but it was over George Washington. Oh no, it was in the other room where the first Supreme Court was mm-hmm. um, across from where the Declaration of Independence was signed. There's like a foyer in the middle there. And then the other side is another room where the first like court was. And over where the judges sat on the bench, there was this huge, like, wooden gilt thing that was represented King George III, mm-hmm. right? Because he presided over the colonies. Like, that was up there back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And when they signed the Declaration of Independence, that was there. It was sitting up right. over there. When they had the first reading of the Declaration to a massive crowd gathered behind Independence Hall where we were waiting to get in. Mm-hmm. The crowd was was put into such a fervor over national pride, what became national pride of let's create the United States, down with the king, Mm -hmm. down with England, down with all that stuff. They rushed into the building, ripped the thing off the wall, and burned it. Yep. And now what's sitting in its place is the crest of the state of Pennsylvania. 
So I'm like everybody talking about cancel culture in 2020 where statues are getting ripped down, statues that represent oppression. And then you've got other people saying, but those statues are historical. Yeah. Even though they're bad, they're historical. Sometimes historical stuff has to come down yeah, like in order you, to move on. You need the symbol gone yeah. in order for a new, hopefully more enlightened society to develop from it, now, I think. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been cool to see that that King George III thing in like a museum later on. Yeah. Like if, like if it were still there, yeah. that would be neat. But I also appreciate them burning it in the street. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I had to mention that. And then uh, we went to the building next door, which apparently not as many people were visiting. But that's where downstairs Congress would meet. And then upstairs, the Senate would meet. They had the upstairs closed for, they said renovation and stuff like that. But I think it's more of a COVID restriction. Oh, they also said it's dark up there. There's like yeah. no lights, no electricity. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. It was just kind of neat that those buildings are still around. Mm -hmm. They've been used for lots of different things. Didn't they say the basement of Independence Hall was used as a like the city pound? Oh, I think they did say that. For a little while. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, all those buildings, because I asked her, I was like, how is it that we we even still have all these buildings? Mm -hmm. And it's basically because they were in use for something. You know, they can they were in constant use. And then I think one of the rangers said that the bicentennials when they turned them into the tourist attractions that they are basically now. And before that they were in constant use for various other things for the city of Philadelphia. So, you know, we just got lucky kind of that they, you know, were still used because many other old buildings in that area have been torn down, but there's still a lot standing as well. So, yeah. So I got to say one more thing about Independence Hall and that whole little building trifecta there because there was another one next to independence hall on the other side that we did not go in at all i don't even know what that building is for was that uh, the declaration house i don't know what it was yeah Uh, there's a there's a bunch of close so we we got kind of like the abridged philadelphia visit because many of these places were closed like was that building next to it because we saw the outside of it was that the rest of the american philosophical society i think it was maybe i don't know i don't remember anyway i've got a whole like bunch of stamps here from places that we didn't actually go to because they were all closed (laughs) the point is in national treasure when our boy nick (laughs) jumps out a window on the second floor (laughs) of some building to run across the roof of basically independence hall taking roof tiles with his feet (laughs) when he runs across the roof to get to a wall that apparently the sun pointed to at a certain time of day, as indicated by a clock on a $100 bill, the clock on Independence Hall, he scratched out a brick that had fake mortar in it that contained the glasses that Benjamin Franklin invented behind the wall there. I know I'm not looking at notes <laughs> at all. <laughs> so Your knowledge of this movie is... Yes, my knowledge of American um, history is phenomenal. Oh, yeah, so, that's what we're going to call it. Okay. Anyway, the point is... That wasn't Independence Hall, right? And it wasn't a set that they made at the back lot of Universal. They filmed a lot of those Philadelphia scenes in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. like Washington Square and you know a bunch of other stuff where they're just running around. A lot of that was actually filmed in Philadelphia. But of course, even the National Park was like, no, you're not going to run across the roof. <laughs> what, are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> so they not. did it at what something that surprised me. There's an exact replica of Independence Hall at Knott's Berry Farm in California. 
Are and you that's serious? The, and that's the one that they used. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So I didn't know that. I don't know how much is there. Like how many other buildings? I haven't looked up the Knott's Berry Farm edition. Uh, no, I have no idea. But like, what do they have? Like a whole Colonial America thing over there? Like I've never even been to Knott's Berry Farm, so I don't really know. No idea. But uh, I'm always a little confused at Disneyland versus Knott's Berry Farm versus like other stuff that's there. Like I don't know how that whole relationship works. I They're all like either. right next to each other. So. No idea. Anyway, point is, don't worry. Nicolas Cage did not damage Independence Hall, and then they had to repair it for the movie. Although, that big movie budget could have done some work to that building. So. I'm, like, kind of upset that we're ending our Philadelphia talk on National Treasure. So, like, you got to have some so, other gem or something that is not... Well, one of the other things <laughs> that we did see in Philadelphia, because you're right, a lot of things were closed, was Washington Square, which was kind of cool. That was a square that's just kitty corner from Independence Hall. Yeah. Oh, also behind Independence Hall, I guess that would be behind, yeah, where we were standing in line, yeah. was the statue of John Barry, which was really cool. He's the founder of the U.S. Navy. Right. I was in the Navy, so that was kind of neat to yeah, see yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And statue he, his there. statue was right where they read the Declaration yeah. of Independence for the first time and where the, the massive mob came in and burnt down that seal. Right, so that was right. part of that area. Yeah, that so. was pretty cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, Philadelphia, super cool. Yep. Lots to do there and even more in non-COVID times when all of these different houses and buildings yeah. and parks and things are open. Yeah. So we saw a lot of stuff. There's way more to see. That being said, since we were... I guess where we were, we were in what's called Lancaster County, which is over closer to Reading, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And the other direction from where we were staying was Gettysburg. Yeah. yeah. Like, like we were like two hours from Philadelphia and like an hour and a half from Gettysburg, probably in the complete other direction, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Gettysburg was really cool. We didn't end up, it was a rainy, like kind of miserable day a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't end up really doing the drive around. You can pick up like an audio guide. I think there's ones you can download. But Gettysburg, if you, I mean, take out the museum and the other stuff that we're going to talk about, but you can drive around the battlefield. It's a massive area. Yeah. That's all part of the, well, it's part of the park. We'll talk about that too. And it's part of this is not part of the park, which mm-hmm. kind of irritated me, but it's part of the park and you can drive around and see all these places. But to be honest, again, I don't have a lot of reverence for like being somewhere. Mm-hmm. I like looking at things and, you know, like sense memory and triggers and stuff like that. But I mean, now they're just fields and forests yeah. and things like that. Sure, they've got statues up that represent things and they've got all kinds of cool stuff out there. But as far as it just being a battlefield, like everywhere else in this country that's been a battlefield at one point or another, whether it was, you know, colonial or Native American, just about every place has been some kind of a battlefield. So. It didn't really do a whole lot for me. So well, we didn't really do I mean, it. if you do the the driving tour, which you know, full disclosure, we did not do that. We saw a couple of things along the way while we were driving to and from, but we didn't drive around and do the whole tour because, like you said, yeah, we weren't really interested in stopping to see a monument in a field or whatever the the mm-hmm. case might be. What we did do though was we went to the visitor center because, of course, I had to get my stamp. <laughs> That's true. And then we went and did the museum there, and I felt like the museum, it really gave a great explanation of the battle, what happened, who was where, you know, all of the different factors that were at play. Yeah. So at the, so first off, the visitor center, which we thought was like, it's called Gettysburg National Military Park, and the quote visitor center. Again, it's kind of like if you've ever been to, I don't know, Grand Canyon or even Yosemite or Yellowstone. 
a lot of this stuff's run by third-party merchants. Mm-hmm. And that kind of irritated me just a little bit because, well, first off, I couldn't use my military veterans <laughs> discount to get in. But <laughs> anyway, it's run by a private foundation, but it is run by the Gettysburg Foundation, which I guess is a, a foundation set up to kind of you know manage and all this and keep it going. Yeah, we asked them about it because it, it seemed like it was not a super old building and that they probably would be turning it over to the National Park Service right. eventually and it would just become part of it. So yeah. it, it's a very large and involved museum. So mm-hmm. like, it's probably the best museum I've ever been to attached to a national park. I can't think of one that is bigger or better. Yeah, national parks just usually can't afford to do a museum like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a museum in, in somewhat the traditional sense with a lot of you know displays and things mm-hmm. like that. Although one of the cool things that they did have First off, the museum is structured to follow the timeline of the battle. Yeah. So it was pre-battle and then each day of the battle and then post-battle. And then the Gettysburg's dress from Lincoln was part of that mm-hmm. museum as well. And that was that was kind of neat. And then they had, you know, like stories from soldiers and stuff like that and individual kits from soldiers that either died or lived, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. So you could see their uniform and all their stuff. And yeah, it, it added a very like human touch to yeah. it because sometimes with battle stuff, mm-hmm. you just get kind of dragged down in numbers and yeah. horses and guns and stuff. And it's like, OK, I get it. Like men were fighting but like it's just kind of hard to follow it and like yeah feel connected to it so it was really cool to see those like personal stories right yeah so one of the other things they had in there that i don't know if it was included in the price of the museum or not i think it was it's separate was it separate mm-hmm. it's called a cyclorama and they kept saying see the film or whatever and i was like i don't want to sit in here for two hours to watch a movie and they're like oh it's like 25 <laughs> minutes and it's not really a movie oh wait we did see the movie as well we saw the movie first okay so you go in you that's right you're in this little theater you see this movie that is actually pretty well done. Oh, narrated by Morgan Freeman. Oh, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. I'll listen to him tell me anything, uh, I really. Know. <laughs> I know. It's pretty cool. So Morgan Freeman narrates this little movie, and then you got to sit through that. Again, it was like 25 minutes, and it gives you this whole background, because who knows the Battle of Gettysburg, Gettysburg by heart? I didn't know really anything other than it, that no. it happened. Yeah. You know? And, and that it was devastating. That was all I really knew. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, once you did that, then you went upstairs and you went into what was called the Cyclorama. And I'm trying to look up right now how old the Gettysburg Cyclorama is. But a Cyclorama is essentially, we were standing in the middle of a big round room at the top of this building. And when I say big, I mean probably 50 feet or 60 feet in diameter. And all around us, we could see, before anything started, it was a little dark, and we could see what looked like a landscape. And it was a Mm -hmm. huge painting. It was oil painting on canvas that is 42 feet tall and 377 feet in length. Yeah. In circumference, basically. It was crazy. Yeah. So this was, I just found the information here. This was painted by Paul Philippoteau, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's French. It was done in 1883. This very one that we looked at was mm-hmm. done in 1883. Back in the day, they would have people playing music and having sound effects, like Foley sound effects, and then having somebody narrate what was happening. They would narr- they would build like battle scenes and all these kinds of things, and they would direct your attention with with lighting from behind the cyclorama. They would direct your attention to different areas in the 360-degree view. So they set this whole thing up to be automatic, and there's obviously projectors and stuff projecting lights, and there was even a little like misty smoke or something at one mm-hmm. point in time, and there's little you know there's battle stuff happening, but you basically get the whole movie all over again in the cyclorama that makes you feel like you're in it. 
Yeah, like the the battle took place kind of not totally centered around this hill, but this mm-hmm. one particular hill was like the main stronghold spot that yeah. the Union Army was at. And your view is sort of from that hill overlooking yeah. Gettysburg in one direction and then the farmland in the other directions. And you like they, they start with having the sunrise, you know, on the first mm-hmm. day. So it like lit up slowly. And then you're seeing and hearing like battle movements or not seeing, you're not seeing them because it's just a painting, but like it's, it, you're hearing things and they're narrating the story and there's like mm-hmm. explosions and anyway it was just really cool and you kind of did like you know that you're looking at a painting <laughs> <laughs> and a set because there's like a whole set down in front of the painting yeah. you know that that's what you're looking at but it does this amazing job of like put, putting you in that moment with just that the explosions and everything that were happening the sounds yeah. so it was very cool i was a little I mean, I was I was at first shocked at what we were seeing because I didn't know what to expect when they said cyclorama. I literally had no idea. Yeah, what I had was. zero idea. I was like, yeah, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> and I didn't look it up before we got up there because we we went straight in, watched the movie, and then went up and did the cyclorama thing. Mm-hmm. But when we were waiting for it to start, and I think a little bit during it, I was actually looking it up, and I was like, you know, once I once I got over the initial shock of what the room looked like because that's very unique. Then I was like, all right, so this is just like a painting or something? Like it's picture, <laughs> like it's just a static image? I had no idea that it was a 140-year-old painting, right. like oil painting, with a set built in front of it. Like you would have a road that, looked, that was a dirt road with like a vehicle on it below you, uh, below like the ledge you're standing on. Like a real road and vehicle mm-hmm. that lead into the painted road on the on the painting. So it was a... It was a physical set that led into the painting that, you know, made it look seamless. And of course the sky was integrated with a with a fake sky as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, just knowing how old that was and what they're able to do with it and how they're able to tell a story with it back as far as the, you know, late seventeen hundreds was just 1800s. awesome. 1800s. Yeah. Well, this one was 1800s, but the first, oh, that's right. The first one oh. was built in 1797, I think. Oh, very cool. Yeah, where is it? Uh, 1787 was the very first one that was ever put together. It's like the lowest budget movie you can... I mean, well, although maybe I'm not, sure not if it was low budget. because of all the painting. <laughs> yeah. Well, lowest tech movie anyway. <laughs> the, the first one was a, a panoramic view from Carlton Hill in central Edinburgh, Scotland. And it was opened in Edinburgh in 1787. So Very cool. There you go. Anyway... That was pretty neat. So we did that. Then we did the museum and learned a lot of stuff. So I think from a, again, from an archaeological slash history standpoint, almost all the things in the museum were either pulled from the battlefield mm-hmm. post-battle. They had problems with looters. They had to post signs and stuff saying, don't take stuff off this. It's federal property. Yeah. Like don't take the guns yeah. from fallen soldiers and a stuff lot like of people that. taking guns. Yeah. 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 Because... Unfortunately, I mean, it was a huge battle and there was a lot of like we went through the whole thing and learned about the battle and everything. But for me, the thing that was the most not shocking, but almost just interesting was the the aftermath and cleaning Mm -hmm. up basically like a battle. Oh, tens of thousands of bodies. Yes. Not just the bodies, though, but like the churned up fields and the destroyed houses and all Mm -hmm. these people, these residents of Gettysburg. It took them a generation to get their city back to not what it was before, but, it, you know, back to a functioning community. So they apparently cleaned it up because after that we went and had beers and a Gettysburger. We did. So. <laughs> we 
Yes, we did. <laughs> and then we went next door and bought wine from the local winery. That's right. So, Support I mean, the local economy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they're doing okay now for sure. It's got <laughs> the downtown area itself is super cute. Very cute. Like yeah. very old school. I feel like every town in that like I don't know if it counts as New England there or not, but like every town in that area of the country is like, yeah, it's organized that way with like a cir- circle in the middle and a roundabout, right. and then all these cute little shops and things. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty neat. Yeah. So highly recommend going to all those places. Gettysburg is quite a ways away from Philadelphia. Yeah. If you're going to do both in a day, you probably can't. But if you're going to do both in a weekend or a few days, you probably can. So we just happen to be staying at a campground between the two. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, let's take a break. We didn't actually intend when we set out to record this to spend two segments talking about all this. No, we sure didn't. So we're going to come back and we're just going to round out this episode with a new story. So back in a minute with that. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 121. And as promised, we're going to talk about one news article that I actually, we didn't intend to even talk about a news article, but I saw this in the news today and thought it would be kind of fun to talk about. So Neolithic grindstone plowed up in Orkney. Now, normally I would call that a grinding stone right yeah, away. Or ground stone. Or ground stone, but mm-hmm. it's actually not. Grindstone actually makes sense when you understand what kind of stone it is. Oh. So anyway, let's talk about this real quick. So yeah. we'll have a, a link for it in the show notes. It says it gives you evidence of flour production more than 5,000 years ago in Orkney, and that's in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge prehistoric cornstone, Q-U-E-R-N-S-T-O-N-E. Now, that word was not familiar to me. Yeah. We had to like look up how to pronounce it. It's right. not a word you hear in our country mm-hmm. <laughs> often. Well, here's the cool thing is this was found after plowing in a field mm-hmm. and or during plowing. They they probably brought it up actually with the plow. Yeah, it's it, huge. Yeah, it measures 34 inches by 23 inches by 18 inches thick and is estimated to weigh 440 Ooh, pounds. So big. Yeah. So now uh, and beneath it were pieces of Neolithic pottery, kind of a kind of a telltale right there yeah so anyway it was spotted by a gentleman named chris g or gee g-e-e it's probably gee of the university of the highlands and islands which i think that's amazing the university of the highlands and islands we, and, we've, uh, had, we've literally had this exact conversation because we've talked about <laughs> these guys before they do a lot of archaeological work in yeah. scotland <laughs> but sometimes you can't wait for archaeology to come to you right like it's nobody's gonna knock on your door and say yeah. archaeology uh <laughs> so this guy since 2014, he has walked fields in the area that mm-hmm. he probably lives in or works in after spring plowing. Now, when they when they plow in the spring after a nice, hard, cold winter, more than likely, they don't get to planting for a little while, right? They've got a lot to plow, so mm-hmm. they're doing that. So he spends the time walking through these plowed fields just seeing what the plow turned up. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff in the plow zone because people have been plowing here for years, decades, centuries. Yeah, and you're not going to stop them from plowing, that's no. for sure. So no. But you might as well be there to see what it kicks up. So Yeah, so it kicked up this stone. And in fact, you can see marks from the plow right on the stone in yeah. the picture in the yeah. article here. So that's pretty much it. They would hope to find charcoal underneath the stone uh, and they, they can radiocarbon date it to give at least an accurate age of the charcoal. Yeah. 
I don't know about the stone, but the stone, again, weighs 440 pounds. You're not going to move one of these too much. But knowing what a cornstone is, at least one of them was moved because here's the thing. If you've ever seen a mill, like a flour mill or any sort of grain mill or something like that, the way these things work is there's a static stone on the bottom. Okay. And there's a, a stone on the top. And modern, as when I say modern, I mean like 150 years ago, <laughs> um, those kinds of mills would have like a donkey or horses or something pulling around in a on a on a wheel the the top stone grinding on the bottom oh, stone. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, this is a smaller version of that, mm-hmm. and it was done by hand typically. Oh. So you would have a, a bottom stone, and then you would have a top stone onto this, and then they would basically, you know whittle down a hole into the top stone or something like that and turn it with a stick oh, on the bottom stone. Oh, okay. So grindstone versus grinding stone. Grind, when we think of ground stone in the United States, like as archaeologists, we found ground stone all the time. Mm-hmm. That typically just means stone that's been ground. Yeah. Now, ground stone, a lot of times here, has two pieces to it. You've got the matate, which is the the flat piece that you would set your grain on or whatever you're trying to grind up. Right. And then you would have your mono, which is just like a, hand-sized. a hand-sized rock yeah. or even like a, a long cylinder shaped like rock, you know, like a rolling pin almost. Yeah. And you'd use that to literally grind out. And you could see the smooth surface that it was ground on. It was a little indented or concave. Mm-hmm. And then you'd see, you know, flat spots and things like that on the mono as well. Mm-hmm. And pecking and stuff too, right? Sometimes All kinds if of stuff. they were, you know, pounding. I'll tell so. you what, if I'm sitting there grinding for a long time, like... We had to grind out some coffee beans with a wine bottle the first <laughs> weekend we were here in the RV. Yeah, we, we forgot ground coffee. And was, we didn't have a rolling pin. Yeah. And we didn't go to the was, river and find rocks. It was rocks. a situation. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you what, I definitely pulled that towel up and like smashed him with the wine bottle a oh, few times. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like got yeah. it started with that. Right. That cup of coffee took some effort. But you do what you got to do. Yeah. So get your coffee. Fix. <laughs> so the pecking, like on the end of a, of a mono, you know, you could imagine somebody was just like, "Damn you, grains!" and just yeah. like kind of pounding them in. Yep. Now, obviously, with this, they couldn't have done that. And the question I have, though, is where's the other half? Is it just didn't get pulled up by the plow? Yeah. Because they're not excavating here. Is it still buried? Is it is it somewhere nearby? Has it been? You know, we this isn't the first year this field's been plowed. That's did they, did they pull this say. thing up ten years ago? Yeah, or or <laughs> fifty years ago. I mean, they yeah, could have been yeah. separated a long time ago, and the just churning over time has yeah, totally. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. So I have a question because I think you know a little bit more about this stuff than I do. But I'm a cornstone expert. As <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> it says evidence of flower production. How do they know flower? Like. Are they using flower just as like a catch-all term to, and by they, I mean the writers of this article. Are they using that as a term to just mean any any grain that's been ground? Well, they didn't like, say, how, how do they know flour? Well, they didn't say wheat flour. I think anytime you grind things down, you make a flour. There's other kinds of like nut flowers and, yeah, that's you know, true. go to Whole Foods. Yeah, go to yeah that's Joe's. true. There's a lot of There's a flower flowers. aisle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like... All right, that that could be fair. I would have to look up that definition because... Because it doesn't identify the kind of flower. It just says something was harvested. Whether they grew it or not is indistinct. They don't have to have grown it. They can Mm -hmm. still be hunter-gatherers. But something was harvested, gathered, whether they grew it or not again, and then ground down to serve another purpose. And the cool thing about archaeology is if this stone was turned up, now this is Scotland, so it rains like literally every day. But if this stone was turned up and the guy didn't find it, 
between the stone kind of coming to the surface with the plow and maybe a heavy rain, then we may have lost any residue potential on it. So yeah. I don't know if he collected it, brought it out. There's a picture of the guy sitting with it in the field. Yeah, he like, did, it looks like he literally like just turned it over in that picture. So oh, maybe, who knows? Yeah. But anyway, if there's still maybe some residue on there, because they can do micro residue analysis, like they call it, is it palynology? That's for pollen. Phytoliths, I think, are the small little microscopic bits of plants yep. that you can find. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's every chance that we could tell, you know, exactly what's on there. Yeah, so. that would be super cool if they have intact enough, you know, residue that they can test. That would be really neat to mm-hmm. know. They were doing all kinds of cool stuff over in the Orkney area 5,000 years ago, which, you know, you think that nothing's going on out there. I mean, it's just a lot of things going on. It's the Neolithic. They're, they said in this article written recently, a couple of days ago, they said last week, so last week is, you know, second or third week of April 2021, they found a potter's fingerprint yeah. on a 5,000-year-old piece of broken ceramic in the same area. Yeah, and I, I actually kind of skimmed through that story, too, because I was super interested in it because... That is coming from either the same site or a very similar site to the one that we talked about a couple episodes back, quite Mm -hmm. a few episodes back, where they found the first impression of fabric or the, well, not first, but the oldest impression of fabric on a shirt. So I was very excited about that, obviously, given my, my, you know, fabric and making of things background. (laughs) Right. And the archaeology lesson of the day is why did you call it a shirt? Oh, really? I mean, people might not know <laughs> what a shard is versus a shard. Why isn't it a shard of pottery? It just is a shard. I don't really know why we would. Well, I don't know why they're called shards. I okay. don't know what the E is. Oh, I thought you wanted me to like define like the like no <laughs> the but taxonomy a, of the word or whatever. But pottery is almost is always referred to as a shard, and uh-huh. glass is, is, a shard. is a shard. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you could have shards of other stuff too, or shards of other stuff. Or really why we use the different words. It might have been that shard was just a word invented to differentiate it from glass. Yeah, maybe. Because they have know. very similar shapes when they break. Yeah. You know, because anything you can make out of pottery, you can make out of glass and vice versa. And when they break, they look the same. You know, so maybe that was why. Who knows? That should be on a shirt. Shard, not shard. Shirt, not shard. <laughs> there you go. Man, I think I did something like that did back you? in the day. <laughs> anyway. I think that's what I think that's all we have on Orkney until they find something next week. I, I mean, they're constantly finding stuff there. There's just so much archaeology going on, and that University of the Highlands and Islands—they are just out there all the time. So I'll tell you what—I'm pretty committed that once it's safe to travel, not just permitted to travel, but safe to travel, we are going. We have friends there. We're going to spend a month, if not two, in Scotland. We're just going to live there. We're going to work there. So we can work digitally. Sure. So we can basically be anywhere. I might have some wicked hours with my clients, but, you know, that's <laughs> fine. Um, I'll work at 2 o'clock in the morning to live in Scotland for two months. But, yeah, so hopefully we can do that at some point soon. Hopefully 2021. That'd be nice, but probably 2022. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for that, and we'll be back next time. We're, we're thinking we might talk about our visit to New York City next time because we saw a lot of cool stuff there statue of liberty for the first time Mm -hmm. ellis island yeah so all really cool stuff or we won't and we'll talk about it later (laughs) yeah well i'm one thing we know for sure we'll we'll talk about it at some point (laughs) that's right if you want to support us in all these crazy efforts uh and i don't mean you're paying for our travel plans i mean you're helping get editing done and bring more shows to light uh arcpodnet.com forward slash members if you go there read it If you accidentally hit the login sign up button when you go to arcpodnet.com, 
It will not tell you what your membership is for. It will charge you for it, though. But if you want to know what it's for, go to arcpodnet.com forward slash members to read about our plans. Basically, you get a few tiny little free things that we use, you know, just to say thank you for being a member and supporting us. But really, it's a donation to the APN. Yeah. And you're helping us out. There's probably 25 people working on this right now between all our hosts, people who are editing, doing social media, all kinds of stuff. And they're all volunteers. So... Every little bit helps, that's for sure. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. You can also find us on the Lyceum app, a podcast app just for educational podcasts. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.